Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crisis Watch Kingston. I'm your host, Sebastian Valancourt, and this month, I've got a bit of a shorter episode for you. As I'm sure regular listeners of this show will remember, for the past few months, I've hoped to bring you an interview with some of the staff over at the Integrated Care Hub. Unfortunately, I can now say that I don't think I'm going to be able to follow through with that promise. The fact of the matter is, given all the pressure the Hub has been facing recently to prove their effectiveness in order to remain open, the staff there have just been too busy to commit to an interview at this time. We will return to our conversations around the Hub in the future, and I will continue to provide updates on their struggle on this show. But starting with this episode, we'll once again be expanding the scope of this show to start talking about some of the other many issues our community is dealing with today, and of course, how they all relate to everything we've talked about so far. So, for this episode, I think it's time we finally addressed two of the other major crises Kingston is facing right now. Food insecurity, and the matter of major pest infestations in apartments across the city. Just like the housing crisis and the opioid epidemic, food insecurity is certainly not a new phenomenon. But it's a crisis, like many others, which has been made far worse by the ongoing pandemic. In fact, even before the pandemic, we've been seeing a rise in food insecurity here in Kingston far worse than the rest of the province on average. In 2016, KFLNA Public Health published a report comparing food insecurity rates in Kingston from 2007 to 2014 to the provincial average from the same period. And what this report reveals is that despite the provincial average rising just 0.5% from 8.2% of households to 8.7%, a rate which is already alarmingly high on its own, the rate of food insecurity in Kingston rose 1.8%, almost four times greater in increase, from 8.4% of households to 10.2%. This means that just over 1 in 10 households here in Kingston either do not know if they'll have enough food next week, or know for certain that they won't. In 2019, KFLNA Public Health published another report titled The Cost of Healthy Living. As the name suggests, This report breaks down the average cost per month of eating a healthy diet for various household demographics and compares that average cost to the amount of income left over after paying rent. For a family of four, that average comes to about $950 a month. While this is only a fraction of the leftover income for families earning the median income in Ontario, around $6,500, this is almost half of that amount for families earning minimum wage and well beyond the leftover income of those in Kingston who rely on government assistance. For single mothers and individuals living on disability who have only around $200 of the nearly $350 necessary, it is essentially impossible to afford to eat a healthy diet. And by healthy here, they don't just mean balanced or nutritious. A huge part of maintaining a healthy diet is having enough to eat in the first place. I should also point out, one of the crucial aspects missing from this report is the fact that Kingston's population is not just made up of households. Each and every one of the over 200 people living on the streets here in Kingston are also facing food insecurity. Without a kitchen to prepare meals, or a pantry or fridge to store food, without a job or government assistance to pay for groceries, Every day is a struggle to find your next meal. Similarly, the other crisis we'll be talking about today, the matter of pest infestations in Kingston's apartment buildings, is also far from a new issue. Though its worsening has a lot less to do with the pandemic 
and a lot more to do with the structural issues inherent in Canada's housing system. As we've talked about on the show before, one aspect of the ongoing housing crisis is the suitability and safety of available housing. Housing that comes infested with insects or other pests does not comply with the UN Declaration on the Universal Right to Housing. However, when landlords continue to be motivated by profits first and not the need to comply with this declaration, it creates the situation we see today where landlords purposefully ignore the maintenance needs of their units in order to encourage tenants to move out so rents can be raised. When the most profitable model for providing housing is to cycle through new tenants each year, it is then directly against the interests of landlords to maintain properties where people may want to live for a long time. So, to talk with us about both of these issues, as well as update us a little on some of the ongoing actions in Kingston to support those accessing services at the Integrated Care Hub, I am very excited to introduce this month's guest, Kyle Fillo. Kyle is one of the many dedicated organizers working with the Cataraqua Union of Tenants here in town to ensure the needs of all Kingston's tenants are being met. We've talked with some of the folks from KUT before on this show, back in our first episode. But in that interview, we focused more on the history of the housing crisis here in Kingston than we did on the work their organization gets up to. So this month, I wanted to have Kyle come on the show to give us a bit of a rundown as to what KUT gets up to every day, what we can do to help support them in their work, and some of the incredible plans they have for future calls to action. So without any further delay, please enjoy these highlights from my recent conversation with Kyle, and I'll talk to you all again next time on Crisis Watch Kingston. Yeah, so my name's Kyle Fillo. I'm a KUT member of the Cataraqua Union of Tenants. Um, we're a tenants union here in Kingston, um, working to provide affordable housing support for all uh, members of our community. Uh, professionally, I'm a freelance writer, uh, and I bring a lot of that to the work with KUT, writing articles and stuff, and helping uh, helping put campaign literature together. And um, yeah, I also try to you know prioritize education. Uh, as a as a role to you know really bring people's people into the movement rather than just kind of leading them and having them follow you along. Um, so you kind of mentioned doing educational work, but also kind of fighting for housing solutions. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of things that KUT gets up to, and uh, kind of maybe talk a little bit about what the organization is and and does on a kind of day to day basis? Yeah, so we're you know still a fairly small organization, but I think we make a pretty big impact. Um, one of the main ways we're uh, helping the community right now is we've got a, a food program. We're uh, feeding, uh, we're serving over 2,000 meals per month um, over at the Integrated Care Hub on Montreal Street to the, uh, the people who use the services there. Um, yeah, and that's 2,000 meals purely through donations and volunteer work, you know, or uh, homemade soup and sandwiches along with like um, fruit, drinks, cigarettes, and uh, yeah, whatever people feel comfortable making, you know, some people make cupcakes. Uh, some people, you know, have been sending herbal smoking blends to people. So yeah, it's uh, that's kind of one of the main things we're doing at the moment because um, obviously, you know, over at the ICH, there are people who there are organizations in the city that are paid to 
paid to send food to these people, but a lot of the time it's, you know, they, they're not as reliable as necessary, or even the food isn't as high quality. So we saw a, uh, we saw a gap in the market kind of there and um, stepped in to help, help feed people and give them the kind of nutritious, healthy meals they need. So you mentioned your kind of volunteer uh, network that helps contribute to these meal programs and that a lot of your, the food itself comes from donations. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of organizational structure of that, how that sort of came to be? How did you get this program off the ground? So some of the, yeah, we just sort of started doing it because we were back in the summer, we were doing uh, barbecues, weekly barbecues over there, but because of the uh, COVID outbreak they had back in November at the ICH, um, we kind of had to stop doing those in-person things, but we still wanted to continue making an impact over there. So yeah, we just sort of started cooking soup and delivering it. And at first it was, you know, one day a week and then two days a week. And we kind of just pushed into our, you know, 600, 700 person network of, of, of people we've got in the tenants union. And they, uh, yeah, we we're serving food every day, basically at this point, soup sandwiches, having people deliver it. So it was, it's been pretty kind of more spontaneous. We're getting better at, um, sort of standardizing it now because yeah, you know, food insecurity is rampant in all communities, you know? So ideally we would even like to expand beyond just the ICH itself and, you know, send, send, uh, have food sent to locations in you know, lower income neighborhoods and places where, you know, people are working two, three jobs and give them an option other than having to stop at McDonald's every day to feed their kids and feed themselves because, you know, a lot of these people just don't have time to, to cook a proper meal. Like, you know, we, we, when my partner and I cook, it takes, you know, four or five hours to make soup for 80 people sometimes. And it's just like that, that kind of time commitment when you're, you know, working 10, 11, 12 hour days, is just impossible and your health suffers because of it. So like, we're, we're really trying to, yeah, just continue expanding our, our structure and our volunteer network and obviously our food and monetary donations in order to be able to, yeah, help kind of help, help change some of those trends. And because, you know, people's health is suffering. And, uh, and it doesn't have to, like, you know, we, we can feed 80, 90 people for, you know, less than a dollar a person. Uh, so it really is just kind of a scale problem at the moment, but we're sort of, yeah, working on it and trying to get the processes in place to make that possible. For sure. Um, so you mentioned a, a volunteer network of six, 700 people. I mean, that's pretty impressive numbers, um, especially in a kind of smaller community like Kingston. How would you kind of describe the membership of KUT? Is it something that's kind of, I mean, obviously you talk, it's a tenants union. So is it mostly people who are renting that are part of this network? Or is it uh, kind of homeowners? Is it? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, we are, a, you know, a tenants union. So uh, the majority of the people who, who work with us um, are tenants because, you know, beyond the food program is a little bit more of a, you know, I would say an agnostic issue. Everyone cares about feeding people who need it but um in some of our other kind of more militant work um you know it, it is really heavily tenant driven um but there are you know it, it, we have a, pr a pretty wide net at this point which has helped with the soup program because you know a lot of the younger people uh, who are kind of more politically involved aren't uh, aren't necessarily the, the best or most willing cooks so we have uh we have a a, a bunch of you know people like uh you know stay-at-home moms or you know people who are looking to get involved in any way but maybe not uh, as, as political, um, stay at home dads too, obviously. Yeah. We've sort of just used the people's skills that we have in the organization and built it up from there because that's kind of, 
that, that's kind of where we're at right now. It's still like we have, yeah, like I say, six, 700 people who are like loosely involved, but I would say that there's a core of probably about 50 people doing most of it at the moment. So um, yeah, we're just always trying to, trying to get, just see, see what people are willing to do and go from there. For sure. Um, so obviously this, this meal program is, is quite extensive and I'm sure it takes up a lot of your time in the organization, but what are some of the other kind of ongoing projects and, and things that KUT is, is working towards? Well, another really major thing we're doing at the moment is uh, we're working on a, a pest campaign. It uh, dealing with you know people who are living in infested apartments. Um, it began here when we uh, we got we word of a, a tenant who was taking uh, you know they lived in a building owned by one of the really big corporate landlords, um, and she was taking them to court over a, a pest infestation like bed bugs and cockroaches and stuff. Uh, and so that was really interesting. And we got in after we got in contact with her, we got more interested into the issue. Um, and realize just it's it's an insanely huge problem. Um, you know, pests are just like all over the rental market in Kingston, especially and as we've reached out more into into Ontario as well. Um, so at, yeah, like we kind of offered our support and sort of structures as a tenants union and organizing experience as well to be able to sort of support the tenants um, making their making their own campaign uh, against their landlords. Um, because yeah, it's just like we, some of the stories we've heard of the conditions people live in are terrible. You know, we've heard of children being bitten by rats, people with cockroach larvae in their skin. You know, you can't cook, you can't live in your apartment because of the severity of the pest problems. Um, and you know, like everything's in boxes, everything's in plastic bags. You know, children are growing up like this; they can't play on the floor. Um, and beyond that, e even further beyond that, you know, we think of cockroaches and bed bugs as mainly kind of like a, a psychological issue, like, you know, just kind of knowing that the, there are bugs there. But, you know, we've met a woman who's gotten E. coli from cockroaches in her, in her, in her apartment. And so we've also been trying to put, a, put together some, you know, campaign posters about all the diseases and bacteria and stuff that you should get checked for by your doctor if, you, if your apartment's infested. Because, um, yeah, no, it's, it's like, like uh, the scope and the scale of the problem are just like so crazy that we, we're just like, this is a, this is an easy rallying point to be able to get more people involved because every single person we talk to who lives in these buildings has the same story and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're not being heard and they're just suffering in isolation and silence at the moment. When we're sort of talking about these infestations, are, are these whole buildings that are, are being affected by this? Is it collections of buildings in, in a certain area? Is this across the entire town that these infestations are, are taking place? Yeah, so maybe I'll speak a little bit on the first point to the uh, to the infestations themselves and then kind of to the sort of the geographic location of them. Because so one of the main things we sort of tried to tie the campaign around is, you know, the stigma of people who have bed bugs and cockroaches in their apartment. Um, a lot of the time, you know, it's easy for the landlords and stuff to dismiss them as like, oh, these are people living in squalor, they're dirty individuals, there's something wrong with them, you know, um, they don't care for the apartment, they don't care about their themselves and their lives. And it's just, that's just not true. Um, you know, these, these are institutional problems. Um, and so we've been kind of trying to make people feel that like, you know, when we're listening to their stories, we say like, yeah, like, if you live in an infested building, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed. The people who are taking, you know, your 12, 13, $1,400 a month um, and forcing you to live like that, they're the ones who should be ashamed. Um, because yeah, it, it really is just like people, people don't want to talk to their neighbors about it because 
they think that their navels will judge him. And, you know, at the moment they do, but like, we've been really trying to, trying to provide a lot of information about the fact that that's just not true. And it's a, it's an easy way for, for, you know, some of the biggest, most powerful rental companies in the province to, um, to shift the responsibility for caring for their buildings onto the people who live there and, you know, suffer in these horrible conditions. Um, and then on ter in terms of the, uh, you know, where, where these, these are happening, it's, it's everywhere. You know, we've already made connections with um, tenants in, in seven cities across the province and everyone has, you know, if, if, if not every building is infested, you know, everyone we talk to has, you know, mold problems, ignored maintenance requests for months, if not entirely. Um, we even spoke to someone in, uh, in, in Cambridge and her building manager, you know, tried to start a fist fight with her just because, you know, she, because, because a few months before she had asked for, um, her sink to be fixed because water was literally spewing out of it on every hour. She had to wake up in the middle of the night on the hour to, to drain the sink or else the, the, her water would spill everywhere. She had to have people come over and wash her apartment while she was at work. Um, and she asked the, the, the building manager to, to fix this and she was ignored and kept, kept, you know, pushing this issue back with this person. And eventually the person like physically confronted them about it. And so, yeah, it's it like what what started as strictly around pests has sort of just become a, a a kind of larger tenant people's movement about you know the conditions in rental housing across the province because you know everyone might not have cockroaches but everyone's got something that they're that's they're dealing with um, uh, especially especially in these you know these these big big corporate landlords who own you know dozens if not hundreds of buildings and places around the province and have just let some of them, you know, basically they you know, mortgage is paid off and everything. And they're just like, okay, it's free money. We'll let it fall apart. And then to no matter what the consequences are to people living in these situations, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of, you know, immigrant families, low income families who have no other choice, but to live here or, you know, live on the streets. Um, I think as a tenant union, as a whole, like Housing is an ex extremely important issue to focus on politically at the moment, um, because I like to say because it, it touches everyone in some way. You know, young people like myself, I'm unable to you know afford the insane rents anywhere. Like I just moved here from Vancouver last year, and I thought, oh, it's Kingston. How much more expensive is it going to be? And it's like the exact same. Um, and you know, home ownership obviously is just like completely out the window at this point. But then this spirals down to you know the people living in conditions like this, who are yeah choosing between you know, basically living in a cockroach infested mold ridden hell or homelessness. Um, and then obviously the, the spiking homelessness crisis, uh, that, that goes alongside the rising housing costs and the, and the, the maintenance crisis as we kind of call it. So yeah, no, it's, it's, we, 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 we kind of got a, uh, we kind of got into, into more than we thought we had our hands on when we, when we first talked to this one woman about her, her, her bed bug infestation. But I think, it really just does speak to the fact that housing is broken for everyone at the moment. And, you know, we, we need to, we, we need to really, as a society, rethink how we house people and decommodify it. And, you know, there are more radical approaches like expropriation and, you know, just government plan, social housing, rent geared to income that are, are, are the only way we're going to, we're going to be able to even consider 
uh, you know, a future for housing in this country, because at the moment it's just a nightmare. Absolutely. Um, so thank you again for for coming on today and, and talking with us about the the work that your incredible organization is is doing. Um, before we end off here, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to share any uh, calls to actions or events that are going on in their community, whether it's related to things that we have talked about today or not. Uh, if there's anything like that you want to share, if you want to let people know how they can get in touch with KUT, where they can find you, feel free to share any of that stuff now. Yeah, so I think... Uh... Number one, we're always looking for more volunteers and donations. You know, we're we're a small organization doing as much as we can and doing a lot, frankly, I think. But our resources are constantly stretched thin, you know, monetarily and uh, with people's time. So um, you can we've got a we've got a Facebook group. Uh, I think it's Cataraqua Union of Tenants or something like that. Search up that. It'll come up. Um, and then you can find more information about us at uh, tenantsunite.ca. Um, you know, we put out a lot of articles, we put out state political statements, um, or we have resources for, you know, tenants, if you're be trying to be evicted or something like that, or if you're, um, you know, need to take your landlord to the LTB or something. So give that a check out for sure. But uh, there's also a GoFundMe because the food program, as I mentioned before, is completely run on donations and volunteerism at the moment. So um, any money that uh, we could... Uh, yeah, but your money's going a long way through there versus, you know, some of the other places you can donate it where a lot of it goes to operational costs and uh, and uh, salaries, etc. So it, we can 100% of the money you donate to, to us is going to back to the community to feed people who you know are living out on the streets or who aren't being fed at all. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.